Hi, everybody. I'm Sunny, and this is We Gotta Talk, a live weekly digital talk show and podcast where we like to dig deep. Real talk, big topics. Now, let's dig in. Hey, hey, everybody. Happy Wednesday if you're watching this. If you're listening on the podcast, happy Thursday. Thank you for joining us. This is We Gotta Talk, where, as you just heard, the motto is real talk and big topics. We are really excited about today's guest, um, who is an expert on many things, but mainly in helping us to center ourselves. My guest today is Ava Johanna, who is the founder of the Academy of Breath. She is a business coach and her work is dedicated to helping us all expand within to show up as the best version of ourselves, whether that's in our personal life or our professional life. And I'm so excited to get some tactics and tips and tricks to get through these uh, crazy couple of years a little bit better. (laughs) Ava, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I truly cannot get enough of conversations on breath work and meditation. And so it's just an honor to be here. Well, we, this is something we dug into probably about a year and a half ago, but I feel like it's time for a tune up. And the angle that you bring to this is interesting because you're not only working with people on the concept and the practice of breath work, but sort of how that integrates into whole self health. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the connection between how we're physically breathing and, you know, taking in, taking in air and how we're feeling during the day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's so funny because it's like the one intrinsic thing that all of us do. We do it every single day unconsciously. And yet it has such a profound impact on every single area of our life. So to get really nitty gritty for a moment, the breath is a part of our autonomic nervous system, which is essentially the automatic systems within our body that keep all of our vital organs running, all of the vital processes from hormonal release to immune function, um, to sleep and to stress. And so when you think about all of those different aspects of our physiological makeup, how those impact our emotional state, our mental state, um, our, our physical state and our spiritual state, you can really see that there's a bigger picture happening here with how the breath can impact and not only impact, but enhance our lives overall. Because we know that when we're feeling good, when we're feeling energized, when we're feeling healthy in our bodies, there's so much more that we can do and we can create within our lives. And so when I started realizing that about the breath, I was like, oh my goodness, everyone needs to become aware of these practices because they're free, they're easy. And they can make such a big difference on how we live our lives. So what are we not doing usually when it comes to breath? Like this, like you said, it's an involuntary thing. We're not aware of it. We're just taking in the oxygen we need to survive essentially. So what are we like not doing that we don't realize that if we worked on or paid a little more attention to, we could really see some tremendous benefits? Yeah. So the first two things that come to mind, first and foremost, most people breathe through their mouths instead of breathing through their noses. Like during the day, even during the day. Yeah. You know how there's the like joke around being like a mouth breather. Yes. (laughs) So that comes back to like incorrect breathing. So essentially mouth breathing isn't taking in as much oxygen. So we're not getting as much oxygen into our blood, uh, into our blood, into our cells, um, which has a massive impact on our lifespan. It has a massive impact on the quality of our sleep. Um, You can develop sleep apnea, snoring, um, crooked teeth. I mean, the list goes on of the health impacts of 
breathing through your mouth versus breathing through your nose. Your nose is this incredible filtration system that has this really beautiful technology that we don't have to dive completely into. But the first thing is a lot of people breathe out of their mouth instead of breathing in their nose, in through their nose. And I think the easiest way to recognize that is if you ever go to a group fitness class or work out, you're going to notice you're probably breathing in and out of your mouth. Um, with the idea that that's actually helping you, but learning how to breathe in and out of your nose is actually going to support you in the long run. So that's the first piece. The second piece is that most of us have actually forgotten how to breathe. So anyone that's watching or listening right now, if you take a moment to actually feel where you're breathing in your body, a majority of people are going to say that they can only feel their breath in their chest. And when we're only breathing in and, out of, in and out of our chest, we're actually only using a third capacity of our lungs. If you look at a baby when they're sleeping or an animal, like if you look at an adorable little puppy <laughs> when it's sleeping, you can see the belly moving up and down. Or when you see a baby sleeping, the belly moves up and down. That's our natural breath. What happens though over time, because we live in a highly stressful society, especially over the past couple of years, is that our breath shortens. It gets choppier and choppier and choppier until we're only really taking in a little bit of breath, which actually creates more stress on the body and um, creates more anxiety for our system as well too. And so those are the two main things that I think people can start to pay attention to is like, mm -hmm. first, am I breathing in and out of my mouth or in and out of my nose? And second, where am I breathing in my body? And can I pull my breath all the way down into my belly so I'm using the entire capacity of my lungs to breathe? So work us through something we can do when we are actively engaging in the rest of our day. I know there's, we'll break down some things that we can do where we're actually sitting down and dedicating time to breath work as well. But for people who are on the go, maybe listening to this right now, things they can immediately do while they're still sort of actively engaged in other things. Um, mm -hmm. Run us through a couple of those things. Is it a matter just of like breathing in and feeling your stomach extend as yeah. you breathe? Yeah. I mean, that's the simplest thing to do. And for me, it's like, the simpler, the better, because what we're really trying to do here is just get as many people consciously breathing as possible. So what I would suggest doing throughout your day is first and foremost, becoming aware of your physical body. So sometimes when I'm driving, I'll notice I'm clenching my jaw or like my hands are really tight and fists or my shoulders are kind of scrunched up towards my ears. These are all signs of being in a stress response of being on defense, right? When we're um, in a reactive state or when we're on a defensive state, we're going to be more tight and kind of pulled together and contracted. And so when you notice that, you can say, oh, okay, let me relax my body and let me just put a hand on my belly for a moment and take three deep breaths in and use that as a centering practice, a practice to bring you back into the present moment and a practice to also just, again, scan the body and relax into those spaces that might be unnecessarily holding on to tension because the stress response is something that we're only supposed to be in for like a short amount of time. And then we're supposed to come back into, um, into homeostasis or that balanced states. Unfortunately, most of us, because there's so many different threats or perceived threats, I'd like to say, um, around us at all times, whether it's the news or an email that we get that we don't like, or, um, unexpected bill that we pick up in the mail, all of those things create little tiny stress triggers throughout our day. And if we don't have these centering practices, it just builds up over time. It's just really impossible to live in this world, isn't it? Without any sort of like cascade of triggers throughout I the day. I'm hearing so you, even hearing you say that, Ava, I'm like, bills, 
like, you know, a call from the school, <gasps> like anything that happens during my day, I notice that like dropping of the stomach and the shortening of the breath. I, I mean, so the world's not going to change. We have to, is what you're saying. Exactly. I mean, this is a way for us to be able to deal with life's daily demands and challenges because they're not going to go away. And mastery to me is how do we show up in these spaces? How do we do the best that we can using the tools that we have. Mm -hmm. um, run us through some other things that people can start to do. Say we're beginners or wanting to explore the practice of breath work in a more meaningful way. I know you run the Academy of Breath where people will actually be sort of walked through different programs and different exercises. But what are some things that people who are more interested in a little more centering can do? Yeah. So my favorite practice, and this is the practice that I start with everyone on because it, one, it teaches you how to breathe again, how to properly breathe. It also strengthens your lung capacity. So you're actually strengthening your lungs, which is so good for you and your lifespan. And we got a chopper rescue. We got happening. a chopper. <laughs> <laughs> we worked in news. We're familiar with the news chopper. Oh, yeah. Don't worry. It was yeah. quick. It's, it's gone now. Go ahead. <laughs> so, um, and fun funny enough, this practice is practiced by Navy SEALs. So perfect timing to have a helicopter flying overhead. Oh my goodness. Um, that's crazy. So the practice itself is called equal ratio breathing or box breath. Um, in, in yoga, it's called Samavriti Pranayama. And uh, like the name states, you breathe for an equal ratio of time. So this, the count that I usually start people on is an inhale for five, hold your breath at the top for five, exhale for five, hold your breath at the bottom for five, and do that for about five minutes. And studies have shown that this practice brings us into a parasympathetic response, which is our rest and digest, or um, as one of my favorite meditation teachers calls it, our stay and play. And um, what this does is bring us into a space where our bodies are able to restore, recover, and regrow and regenerate. And so this is so powerful for anybody who experiences stress on a daily basis to just have a tool, a breathwork practice that is simple enough that anybody can do. You actually don't even have to close your eyes to do it. And it only takes five minutes. And so sometimes I'll do this breathwork practice when I'm driving in traffic, when I am um, in the grocery store waiting in a long line, and um, when I'm trying to go to sleep at night because it calms the entire body down. It's also really powerful to do before a meditation practice because oftentimes when we come into our meditation practice, we've got a million things going on in our head. And this just kind of brings us into that centered space before we sit down and meditate. I heard, I don't know what the term is, but someone talking on social media the other day, actually it was a suggestion that a friend had made to me about um, intentional breathing. And it, it was where the exhale is longer than the inhale. What's that mm -hmm. called? So, you know, I don't know if that one necessarily has a name. Um, what so is that? What benefits does that have? Coherent breathing. Is, is yeah, that's breathing. what it was. That's and, what it was. Um, so when your exhale is elongated, when it's longer than your inhale, what that does is actually stimulate your vagus nerve. Your vagus nerve is like this really cool tree-shaped nerve that goes from your brainstem all the way down into your gut. And it kind of touches all of your different vital organs in your autonomic nervous system. So your heart, your gut, your stomach. Um, all of the organs in your body that do their thing without you having to think about it mm -hmm. are um, connected to your vagus nerve. And your vagus nerve essentially acts as a break in your stress response. So when you are breathe, doing this coherent breathing practice, 
um, of let's say you inhale for four, you exhale for eight, it activates your vagus nerve. So the higher the vagal tone you have, the better um, you are at your, the better your physical body is at responding to stress. Oh, that's interesting. I'm marking yeah. that time code down. Hold on one minute. We take notes during this. Um, so tell us some of the benefits that people immediately come to you and notice, or maybe not immediately, but within you know several weeks of starting the program or even starting a simple practice. What are the things that they're saying they're noticing right away? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is the coolest part because it's so much more than stress. When somebody develops and like really commits to a daily breathwork and meditation practice. Again, even if it's just for five minutes a day, every single part of your brain structure is being altered. So some of the first immediate benefits that you're going to see are greater signs of and greater feelings of well-being and peace and ease. Um, and that's because, again, you're creating this space in your day to let go of the stress, to come back to center, to release anything that's been stored inside of you so that you can walk forward without carrying so much weight. So feeling that greater sense of peace and ease and calmness, um, presence is another big piece of it as well, too, where you become more in tune with what's actually available and what's happening right here in front of you, which is so powerful because if you think about how we usually live our lives, so many of us make decisions based off of the past or we make decisions based off of the fear or the anxiety of the future. And what breathwork and meditation does is offer us an opportunity to respond versus react to what's happening right here and right now. So I see a lot of people come into this practice and become more confident, more clear in their direction. They feel a greater sense of self-trust because they've been able to clear out the noise of so much of the external world or their past or their future and be able to hear what's happening right here and right now and take action or, um, or move forward from listening to what's happening inside versus what's happening outside of themselves. So I see greater sense of self-trust, um, greater creativity, confidence, um, better, better health and vitality as far as the physical body goes, which we know supports us in feeling more energized and more available to the moment and to the day and to our relationships. And so really every single area of your life is impacted by these practices. And again, it doesn't take a lot of time when you're consistent with it. Yeah, I would imagine that people who deal with maybe chronic stress as a result of trauma or clinical depression or anxiety or something like that would also see some benefits, you know, in addition maybe to whatever else they're doing. Because anyone locked in that constant state, like you said, of, of reaction to things that are happening or have happened to them, I feel like would really, really benefit from this. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's why I love breathwork and meditation together. A lot of people that have chronic anxiety or PTSD or have experienced recent traumas, if they go into a meditation practice on its own, it might actually bring up a lot of those feelings, those sensations. And the reason being is that, again, when we get into that parasympathetic response, the body is like, oh, I finally have an opportunity to release all of this stuff. And so it's you know important to know for those individuals that your body is releasing, it's not reacting. And so oftentimes when you are someone who deals with a lot of anxiety or a lot of stress and you go into a meditation practice on its own, it can be really intense to experience those feelings again, especially if you don't know that it's just the body releasing. It's not that you're actually in that experience again. Because on, oftentimes when we're releasing, we're re-feeling those, uh, those initial feelings. And so that's why breathwork is so powerful because it really 
creates this physical vehicle for you to release a lot of that pent up energy, that pent up stress, that anxiety, so that once you get to the meditation itself, your body is already prepared. It's already moved all of that up and out. So, okay. I'm the base, most basic of meditators ever. It's like five minutes of silence in my dark closet at night. It's not fancy, but I do like it. What can I start to do leading into that meditation? What, what quick breathwork exercise can I do that will center me with the priority being, and I'm sure it's a priority of other people, something that's relatively quick, but also centering. Yeah, absolutely. So the equal ratio breath that I shared with you is always the go-to um, first and foremost, because it's safe for anybody to do. There's certain breathwork practices we have to remember again, because we're working with our physical systems and our bodies, the breath is medicine. And when we do certain breathwork practices that aren't necessarily meant for us because we're in a chronic state of stress or pregnant or on our first day of our cycle or have high blood pressure, there can be um, contradictions that come with certain breathwork practices. And so I, knowing that there's a wide variety of people that are listening to this, um, would suggest equal ratio breathing being that simple practice because it's safe for anybody to do. Um, for anybody else that's like, I want to dig deeper. I want more practices. I want to experience energizing practices. I want to get that breath high. Then um, my suggestion would be to start diving into um, breathwork, more breathwork um, material. So we have obviously our Academy of Breath. Um, we have our six week program as well. That's more of a personal practice where we go into a lot more practices, but for to stay in integrity with, with my work and to make sure I'm keeping everyone safe here. Um, my, my disclaimer is equal ratio breathing is the way to go. That's like a yeah. one size fits all breath practice that's safe for anybody, um, not knowing everyone's health, pre-existing health conditions. Yeah. It's really trippy what breath work can make you feel like. And yeah. only knowing this again, having run through some faster exercises mm -hmm. with other experts we've interviewed, it's like a high and, oh my God, am I going to pass out? Yep. And then really energy. I mean, it's very powerful, more so than I ever imagined. Oh yeah. It's, I mean, you know, in some breathwork practices, you're creating a hyperventilation. In some breathwork practices, you're increasing CO2, which makes you feel like you're suffocating. And, and so, what, and what I, would be the purpose of, of that type of exercise, those faster breathing, more intense ones? Like, what is the end goal there to, for energy? Yeah. So for energy, from like a spiritual perspective, if we go back to like the ancient, ancient yogis that practice these techniques, it's to connect to God. It's to mm -hmm. connect to consciousness. It's to expand our mind and to tap into something greater than our physical bodies. Um, so there's that side of it. And then on the physical side of it, you know, something that's actually really cool about these more intense practices is that it actually creates more resiliency to stress because we're putting our bodies in stressful situations. So our breathwork practice kind of becomes this training ground for how do we respond to and become the pilots of our stress instead of the passengers of our stress. Now, I say that with a grain of salt, because if someone, again, is in a stress response or is experiencing a lot of anxiety, we don't want to exasperate that. But for somebody who is in a balanced space and is like, yeah, I want to become better at managing my stress. I want to become better at responding to life's daily demands. I don't want to be reactive anymore. I don't want to freak out when my partner says something like, I want to be calm. I want to be peaceful. I want to be present. I want to respond then that's when it's like, all right, let's start playing with some more energizing techniques so that you're, bought, you're putting your body into a stress response, but you're the one in control. 
Yeah. Every parent has just been like, yes, give me that superpower. Yeah. Uh-huh. Please. How many times have I like, oh my God, reacted to something in a way that my kids have said that I, I regret. And I feel like, you know, it's so important among many other things to model good response to stress yeah. for our kids. And that like breaks and can break patterns of generational behavior that we've been taught or been exposed to, but it takes a level of like awareness that I just, it's just really hard. So knowing that there is something like breath work, something that's sort of connected to a physical practice makes it easier because then I don't feel like I have to go into like a calm, like I don't have to do anything. I just have to physically breathe yeah. and it will immediately center me a little bit, but I feel like that's what I'm going to be using this kind of stuff for the most, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me a little bit. I was browsing your site, of course, um, in the lead up to this interview. Your own personal story is so interesting, Ava. You talk about going through um, some really tough times when you were a teenager, homeless with your mom, trying to find a place to live to where you are now. You've seen quite a trajectory in your own personal life when it comes to overcoming. What kind of sitting from where you are now, lessons do you feel like you took from some of those hardest times in your life? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the first biggest lesson that I learned was like the the spirit of hustling and having a no matter what approach to life and to my work and to making things work for me. Um, you know, when my mom, my sister and I were homeless and she was going to the food bank every other weekend and you know her car was repossessed one day i didn't know how i was going to get to school um, i actually had to drop out of high school and go into independent study for a majority of my time in um in in high school because i needed to have two jobs and um, didn't have a car and that first initial like lesson from all of that was i will never put myself in this position i never want to be here again and so that decision, that decisiveness really created this fire within me that I would never be there again. And so I think that that was a really powerful lesson for me to learn in my teenage years, because it really supported me in creating momentum in my life and going after the things that I wanted. Um, However, at the same time, as I started climbing the corporate ladder at the digital marketing agencies that I was working at um, in my early 20s, once I started my own business, the hustle turned into burnout. And that's really when I had to learn that there was never going to be any amount of money that I would make that would actually create the sense of fulfillment, the sense of safety, which I was really searching for, um, that I desired. And so that's kind of when the pendulum started swinging the other direction. And I started learning the value of fulfillment and pleasure and connection in my life and putting that as a priority above the amount of money I make or how many things I've acquired. And so there's been this interesting dichotomy of balancing success with what is underneath the meaning that we give success that have been the two like main lessons that I've extracted from this process and this this trajectory of building my own business and, and creating this this life that I live. That's interesting. And two, your definition of safety changing, because, you know, a lot of people would consider what you had a corporate job, a stable schedule and a stable income. That is some people's safety. But then when you look at the downside, like you said, is the expectation and the time spent away and the energy and the stress. I mean, I think we're finally at a point now where people are defining safety differently too. like, where do I feel safest? Do I feel safest within the structure of a a pre-existing company or, or, something or do I strike out on my own? And it seems to me you work with a lot of clients who kind of are in the latter portion of their 
evolution, I guess it were to say. Not that one's better than the other, but it seems to me like you you work with a lot of people who have come to redefine their definition of safety, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of the women that I work with are in the beginning stages of building their business or they're at a point in their career where they're like, I'm ready. I want to pivot. I want greater meaning in my work. I want to do something that I really love. I want to spend my days uh, feeling turned on by how I'm showing up in life. And, you know, I think that especially over these past two and a half years, we've learned that safety and this like illusion of safety from the traditional like uh, structure of having a nine to five job, a 401k, et cetera, it, it's an illusion, right? I mean, I remember um, at the beginning of the pandemic, my husband and I were looking for a house and we were um, applying for different houses to rent in San Diego. And um, we actually got turned down by a, um, by a house that we had applied for because their lawyer advised that because we were entrepreneurs, it was a risk for mm -hmm. them to rent to us, despite the fact that almost every single one of my friends that were on a W-2 or worked a traditional job had actually been laid off through the pandemic. And so it was interesting to have that experience and to also see how the pandemic had flipped the switch or flipped the script a little bit on what like safety and traditional structures look like and how they're really not that safe. And they're really not that, um, mm. that, that uh, certain as well. And so I think that kind of begs the question of, okay, well, if what I believe to be safe or what I believe to be um, that structure, that wouldn't foundation that would support me isn't so, is it actually supporting me to be there? Or can I do something that I'm really passionate about that makes me happy that also has the potential to completely blow the lid off of what I was capable of creating and receiving through that traditional structure? And do you see that? I feel like we still question the narrative, especially as women, that we can have it all. And or, or you know, I always say, having had a corporate experience and an experience within an institution and transitioning now to this side of things, um, again, acknowledging the privilege and being able to do that with a partner. But I always, you know... I still don't think we can have it all. And I want to be convinced that we can, Ava, so help me. Yes. I, mean, I always say we can't have it all all at once, but that's my philosophy. But I was reading and browsing your philosophy too, and there was some line about you know, living, living fully and experiencing the, like you said, the, the great relationship, the passion, the paycheck, the, it still feels to me so hard. And I don't know why, be, but school me a little bit. Yes. yes. So, you know, when I say like, we get to have it all, we can have it all. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to have this like perfect balance of mm -hmm. all of it. I think right. that oftentimes there's this idea that in order to have it all, it has to all be balanced. And so when we talk about like the paycheck, the pleasure, the, the impact, all of the different things, the like amazing relationship with our children, the amazing relationship with our friends, all like the travel, all of those pieces doesn't necessarily mean that it's all happening all at the same time, like you said. Mm -hmm. um, what it might mean is that how do I, how do I create harmony with all of these things so that I'm constantly reevaluating what is out of alignment and what is in alignment. And so maybe that looks like, okay, over the past few months, I've been like really, really going for it with my business. And I've kind of 
created a little bit more space between myself and my husband. So now I'm going to devote a little bit more time to creating a deeper connection there. I'm not letting go of my business altogether, but I am starting to just move my focus a little bit into this area of my life. I think that the the wheel of life is a really helpful tool for people to look at of uh, relationships, uh, health, family, um, career, self-development, spirituality, and just looking at that and rating yourself on a scale of one to 10 of where am I at in all of these things? In the places where I'm not necessarily scoring as high, so to speak, what can I do over the next couple of days, the next couple of weeks to create a little bit more life in these areas so that there is more vibrancy there. Um, I think that those that kind of approach allows us to not necessarily have like 50-50 balance across the board, but create more harmony in our lives so that we do get to have flavors of it all as, as we're moving about life. Does that make sense? Absolutely makes sense. Yeah. And I agree with you that it's not, um, always the perfect ratio. If you're looking at the pie chart, it's not like the same slice for every big thing in life, family, work, you know, friends. Um, it's just a really hard lesson to take in for women too. I don't know if it's a, a matter of societal expectations or how we've come so far in so many ways and have taken on additional stressors that maybe millennia of women past haven't had to deal with in addition to the sort of biological duties that often fall on us for better or worse with motherhood. But it's just a really fascinating discussion with me. And I always find that women have their own sort of response to that question. And I know plenty of women who are super happy working fully outside of the home or fully inside of the home or some blend of both, but they always have interesting answers to that question. So I had to I had to dive in there with you. What is a good barometer, Ava, to judge what's off in our life? Whether we're, mm. when we're talking about those pieces of the pie, how do you know, okay, this part of my life needs a little fine tuning? Yeah. So for me, inspiration is the, is the compass. So if I notice that I'm not feeling inspired in a certain area of my, of my life, I always will ask, okay, well, how can I create more inspiration here? What would let me be inspired in this area? Or how can I create turn on in this area? So I'm like really turned on by my relationship or I'm turned on by the work that I'm doing. I'm excited by it. I I feel a lot of passion and pleasure when I'm approaching it. If I don't feel that, and it's not that I'm constantly in this state of like, oh yes, I'm so happy. Um, But if I can feel a consistent kind of like contraction around certain areas of my life, that's when I have to ask, all right, well, what's off here? What's not working? What part of this experience am I not fully behind? And from that, I ask three questions. How can I get behind it? So how can I change my perspective so that I am inspired by it or I am excited by it? If I'm, if I, if I can't get behind it, what do I need to change about it to get behind it? And if I've done everything I can to change whatever it is, and I still don't feel turned on by it, how can I release this from my life? And so I kind of go through those three steps sequentially. And what that allows me to do is, first and foremost, be really honest and continue to adjust my life so that it creates, again, that harmony. And from there, create more simplicity as well, too. I think that oftentimes, especially as women, we have a lot of things muddying our our field that, you know, and a lot of the things we can't really get rid of, right? A lot of Mm -hmm. the things are responsibilities that just come with life. But 
the power of this practice and the power of asking these questions is that it allows us to be more intentional with those things and bring our own flavor into it. I think that, you know, going back to what you were saying, there's a lot of societal expectations. There's a lot of societal stories that we bring into what it means to be a mother, what it means to be a wife, what it means to be a boss babe. And for me, I'm all about breaking down the walls that have contained what it means to be anything mm -hmm. and doing things in our own way so that not only does it feel better, but we're also creating new examples for more women and the women to come, you know, breaking the generational um, bonds that our mothers, our mother's mothers, and um, every woman has experienced before us and saying, no, we're going to do things in a new way. I'm going to do things my way. And as I do this in my own way, I'm leading by example and showing other women what's possible. I love that. I'm going to use this as a way to parlay into another one of your offers, which is coaching and counseling on the divine feminine. This is something we actually also did a while back, but kind of with a different approach. This concept, and I'm probably very rudimentarily describing it here, but the whole idea of like the essence that we as women essentially carry and why it's important to lean into that femininity. I want to get your thoughts on what types of benefits, I guess, for a lack of a better word, you see when women in particular are able to really lean into that part of themselves that modern society has really taught us to turn off because mm. productivity is masculine. Organization yeah. is a masculine, but, and we're forced as we often are these days into fitting into multiple categories, depending on the time of the day. And it is maddening to try to keep up with both sides of yourself at times. So what do you love about your work with the divine feminine and what it really means? Mm, yes. So it's reclaiming the, for women specifically, reclaiming all parts of ourselves that throughout all of time have been shamed or have been deemed unworthy or have been deemed even demonic, right? If we think about the Salem witch trials and what it means to be like in, in your power and in, in your feminine and in your magnetism. And so for me, first and foremost, it's reclaiming the parts of myself that I used to shame. Um, but let me take a step back because when we talk about feminine energy, it's not only women, it's everyone contains feminine and masculine energy. And the feminine is really the creative, the fluid, the receptive, the intuitive aspect of us, the, the one that, the, the energy that creates and kind of like the chaos and the emotion that is within us. And the masculine is more of like what contains it all. The, the leader, the decisive, the go for it, you know, like you said, the productive, that's really our, our masculine. And so we need both and we oscillate between both of them throughout the day, depending on what, what, what's required of us. Why I love playing in the feminine is because it's so different than the way that our world is set up. And it really allows us to approach daily life from this energy of receptivity and magnetism. So for me, it's what can I, how can I express myself? How can I flow throughout my day? How can I be in this soft, fluid energy and create from this space or receive from this space, um, build my business from this space, connect with my partner from this space? Um, for me, it's this really powerful practice in leaning into, again, those parts of us that usually and most often most women shut down altogether because we're told not to feel, we're told to 
um, you know, put, put our big girl pants on to just like put a smile over it mm -hmm. to just get things done. All of those things are saying no to the feminine where when you start to move through your day based on what you're feeling and like with your intuition and trusting in your, in your body and how your body feels, it's very, a very rebellious act today to do that. And so I use it in my business. I use it to create more, um, more tension and more polarity in my relationship. And even in this conversation as well, I get to use it in expression. I'm not, you know, I didn't have the questions before you sent anything. Oh, you didn't send anything over to me. We're just playing off of each other. We're yeah. playing in the energy of what is right now. Then I must be very feminine because I don't plan much. <laughs> Ava. Um, I'm, yeah, I, I love it. I mean, it's my favorite way to interview people, but, um, you know, we do at times send over things ahead of time, but if I have a guest who I feel like can improv a little, I just feel like you get a little bit better of a deeper of a chat, you know? So totally. I'm glad that you were game for that because, um, yeah, it really is. It's such a fun place to be. Like I notice the times that I'm recording this, I am in an element and in a vibe that is very distinct from the rest of the day in this mm -hmm. connection. So mm -hmm. um, tell us quickly before we let you go, Ava, all of the things that you do, if people are interested in working with you, I know we mentioned at the top of the show that you do business coaching in addition to all this very specific work on breath work. Um, tell us how it all comes together and where we can find you. Yeah, absolutely. So I love combining business coaching with breath work because breath work is an embodiment practice. And so it really supports my clients in getting into their bodies and beginning to embody the version of themselves that they desire to become in their business as leaders, as women overall. Um, so if this is exciting to anybody who's listening, um, I have a 10-week spiritual business accelerator program. It's a group coaching program. It's called Catalyst. And it's really to support you in becoming the catalyst in your life and in your career. And that begins on April or excuse me, March 15th. Um, and then the Academy of Breath, which we discussed already, begins on April 13th. And so those are my two main programs that are coming up. The Academy of Breath is a certification program. So if you're interested in learning how to teach um, breathwork and meditation and also deepening your own personal practice, the Academy of Breath is unlike anything that I've ever seen or experienced. Uh, that's why I created it. And we've certified over 300 students. It's been such an amazing journey. And you can go to um, the Academy of Breath, or excuse me, academyofbreath.org to find out more. Awesome. Ava, Johanna, you have been such a pleasure to chat with today. Thank you for making some time and space for us. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Thank you, Ava. And thank you guys for watching and or listening. I know that I took away some things that I'm going to be trying right away, beginning with that coherent breathing and sort of trying to tack on that um, breath work to the beginning of my meditation time at night, air quotes, because it's like I said, just pretty much me locked in a closet <laughs> in total darkness. But anything I can do to amp up that uh, sense of peace, I am game for. As Ava mentioned, you can find her on social media at Ava Johanna and check out her website as well. Around here, we would be so grateful if you would leave a rating and review that helps to get these podcast episodes out to people who might enjoy them or find them useful. So please take the two minutes if you haven't already to do that, and I would be eternally grateful. Have a wonderful day, everybody. WeGottaTalk.com slash blog is the place to go for all the write-ups on our amazing guests and tons of more content. So check that out. And follow me on Instagram at Sunny Abada. Have a wonderful day, and we'll see you next time here on We Gotta Talk. 